0: Good morning. As Shane said before, we've got both, I think it was Rod that said this morning, we've got both myself as Jackie, and then the other Jackie is also going to share. And what I want to do is share a little bit about what my journey and work has been and bringing the Sabbath into that. And it's definitely a journey that I think I'm going to continue to be on, and there's some lessons that I'm sure I'll probably be learning for my entire life. So, I'm a psychologist. Um, and I sort of fell into my work by pursuing what I loved. So, I've had a very easy journey in that sense of becoming a psychologist. I enjoyed studying psychology. I find people fascinating, and through that, um, became a psychologist um, about 16 years ago. I initially worked in a rehabilitation hospital um, when I graduated, and then after Toby was born, I started my own business. And so, a lot of what I'm learning about is the challenges of Sabbath in running a business. Um, I started off working a couple of hours a week in my own business and I now have a business partner where we employ 12 staff. And for me, there are seasons and days where I have swung between the place of peace and that place of striving. And they're probably the two words that for me is that balance. Am I in that place of peace or am I striving? Now, I've always had a really strong conviction about helping people reach their potential. I'm an optimist. Some people might even say delusional optimist because I think pretty much anything is possible and I'll find a way to achieve it. Um, I believe God's given me a heart to see potential in people and to see change as possible. Um, And when I'm operating from that place of seeing potential in people, I find there's a real ease in my work with clients, with staff, with business. And when I'm in that place, the striving stops. And the challenge I've got is how do I stay in that place, particularly when things like facts, like numbers, don't lie. When you're running a business, the numbers need to somehow add up and how in that place do I keep seeing potential and keep finding that place of peace. A few years ago, um, we had a really bumpy, which is code for a really stressful, yucky, crappy time financially in the business um and I remember praying about it and trying to work out what was wise choices how do we move through this and I felt God clearly say to me it will be okay and my response was phew I'm glad we're going to get through this period and I felt God say "Uh uh-uh it will be okay whether you prosper or go bankrupt it will be okay and I was like oh that didn't sound quite as nice Um, And while I really hope we never do go bankrupt, it was realising that it's about trusting God regardless and not looking at the outcome for God's goodness in something like that and it will be okay. And to me I think it's that learning to trust and be regardless of sometimes what things look like is for me the lesson that I'm going to keep learning. So we made some changes at this time in the business and worked really hard to create a buffer. And we've created a buffer and over the last four years – That buffer has just been there and it was interesting just this week in our business meeting we talked about this buffer is bigger than it needs to be and is there more based on fear rather than wise choices and so we've both made this decision, my business partner and I, to go how do we reduce this buffer where there's a wisdom in it but it's not driven by fear and I think it's really hard sometimes to work out what's the motive behind what we do things Um, and for me it's learning to not let fear create that security At a similar time to the bumpy financial period at work, Matt and I had the opportunity to support an organisation in Cambodia and we were trying to decide how much we were going to give. Now, I'm the one in our household that's primarily responsible for the budget and knowing where numbers are. I'm more an attention to detail person. So, my response was quite conservative because I went, well, we've got this, 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 this is what's left, so that's really the most. Whereas Matt's idea was a bit bigger or I think about five times as big as what my conservative Logical, rational brain wanted to do. And so we had a number of conversations and prayed about it, and we decided to go the bigger amount, um, resulting in my apprehension. Um, but fascinatingly, a week later, I was given a work opportunity that resulted in double what we'd agreed to give. And for me, I strongly don't believe in God as a genie God who gives us what we want and gets us out of everything. Um, but I do believe in a loving and generous God who's bigger than I can comprehend. And again, I felt like God said, trust me. Don't try and work it all out. So that's striving versus that trust. The challenge I find is I'm incredibly task-focused, achievement-oriented, and if anyone says to me, I bet you can't do X, that pretty much spurs on a guarantee that I will find a way to do X. Um, I'll push myself, I gain abilities, I will learn things, whatever I can do so that I can do a lot myself. And the challenge with that is I become very independent, independent from others and independent from God, which is not particularly healthy. So for me, I think the ongoing lesson in my work is to trust and to not always have it worked out. It's about finding that place where enough is enough. More recently, we had a really stressful period at work with some staff changes at really short notice that resulted in a significant extra load for me as well as for my staff. And so as a manager, I need to be able to support my staff in their stress as well as manage my own stress Um, This was also at the end of financial year and I'm primarily responsible for the accounts financial year rollover, everyone's tax, making sure everything's gone through correctly and was feeling completely overwhelmed how I was going to get through all those tasks. And on one of those days with my morning coffee, I was reminded about daily manner and reminded that God gives us enough each day. I was reminded about the importance for me holding the vision and purpose in what I'm doing when I am focused on why I'm doing what I'm doing there is that ease, there is that peace. And also the importance of gratitude, being thankful for things is something that for me in that place of rest, there is gratitude. So I started coming back to those three things of focusing on my daily manner, what God gives me daily, the vision and gratitude and felt this peace and managed to get everything done. It was still incredibly busy but there was a peace rather than a panic in that busyness. And so through this series at church and with the recent experiences, I've been reflecting on what each of those states look like, the stress and the striving, and a few of my warning signs, and it's different for each of us, I think, depending on what our buttons and our tendencies are, but I've noticed for me, I have a tendency to feel the need to say I'm stressed or I'm busy, It's almost like a justification for our existence rather than a being. I've learnt that when I'm using I should, I have to, I ought, it's out of that place of striving rather than I'd like to and I choose. The action may be the same but the attitude is different and the place and the energy is different. I sometimes will feel this restless discontent and it's my early warning signs that I'm moving. It's just my brain trying to problem solve problems that may not even be there yet but my brain will try and solve them. And also when I'm working more hours than I want to, got a friend that said to me about 6 months ago, do you realize how often you say you're working more than you want to? I'm like it's a really good wake up call. Why am I working more than I want to? What's going on? So there are a few of my warning signs that I'm moving into that striving. Whereas when I'm in that place of Sabbath, when I'm in that place of peace, one of the things for me has been to give out of what I have, not out of what I don't have. And so there's been times where I've given out of an energy I don't have or time that I don't have or money that I don't have. Um, and one of the things that we've done to help manage that is we make sure our budget fits within our standard income, not out of bonuses. Because one of the things I've noticed is the more our life costs expand, the more we then need to earn. So then more the pressure is on us earning a certain amount and striving. Um While I'll have business plans to make sure the business is sustainable and healthy, I then need to bring my focus into the now, focusing on the day and the task rather than living too much in the future. As I said before, expressing gratitude, gratitude to God, gratitude to people, gratitude to my staff. Being in that place of thankfulness helps enough be enough. When I'm not in that place of gratitude, there's always that desire for more. One of my strengths and therefore my weaknesses is that I have a high sense of responsibility and one of the things that's learning is that I'm responsible for what I do. I'm not responsible for all the outcomes. So I'm responsible to be the best manager I can be and train my staff the best I can but I'm not responsible for how long they stick around or every single outcome that they have. So it's learning to be okay that I can't control everything apparently. Particularly when you employ lots of young females, you cannot control how many of them get pregnant, which is a very high rate in my workplace. Another thing that's been important for me is to put boundaries around my work hours. When my business partner bought into the business, we joked that he brought the work-life balance because he's exceptionally good at life and not working. Thankfully, he's also exceptionally good at working at work. But the reality is he has actually brought that in and putting boundaries around work. So, we run a business working three days a week each and have made that decision So even in the busy period, um, a month or so ago, we would have only done an hour or two overtime in that place because what we've realised is just throwing more at something doesn't necessarily get a better outcome and it creates that perpetual need for more. If you're always doing overtime, it's not really overtime anymore, it's the base and then you've got to add more overtime and more overtime. I've realised with the intensity and drive that I have that when I work four days a week, I'm anchored and it sustains me, I'm energised by it. Whereas when I work five days, it pushes me into a place of stress and anxiety which makes me then end up wanting more. So for me, it's been about finding the rhythm of work that suits me and suits my family. What that means when I work four days a week is my work week feels strongly framed in incorporating rest and life and being rather than just that striving and that doing. So, it's being aware of where work fits in the context of my time and the impact on my family and on my friends because I think one of the things with work is knowing there's always a cost to other people. There can be a benefit, but what is that cost? So it's been considerate of my staff. What are my expectations of them? How do I aim for them to draw out their potential to be the most effective clinicians for our clients to get the best outcomes for people, yet not burn them out and not put unrealistic expectations on them, especially when I have fairly high standards. It's also how we pay and treat staff, the support we do for them. And so it's making a viable business that allows this and honours everyone involved in it. It's seeing each person in the team as valid and equal, whether it's a clinician or admin staff. And it was interesting, one of our most recent receptionists, when she first came on board, very much saw the clinicians are up here and admin are down there. And she'd apologise for almost being or... I'm not quite sure and obviously it would come from this place of there is a hierarchy rather than going you know what you're part of the team you're valuable and contributing and so it's making sure I'm in that place where I'm always seeing that and it means for me doing the important not always the urgent because when I get into that stress cycle that striving it's that reactive what's urgent and not doing what's important when I do what's important I'm working from the place that God's made me be and there is a peace in that regardless of busyness So for me, it's making sure my vision and purpose is the driver in my work, not money or numbers. While I need to respect those, it's making sure that the vision and purpose is at the centre. So there's some of my thoughts over the last few years of what work um, and Sabbath has meant and I think it will always be a journey for me of, because I'm so task-focused and driven, how do I find that rest? And for me it's been finding those early warning signs to keep pulling me back to that place where work is an important part of my life, but it is not the be all and end all. I'm now going to hand over to Jackie. Thanks, Jack.
1: Um sorry. <laughs> um, I've wrote a bunch of stuff down thoughts yesterday and I'm full of a head cold so I'm hoping that I can pull it together in a way that makes some kind of sense. Um, So I work in a similar field to Jackie, I'm a counsellor, I work for a non-profit. So yeah, I just thought I might speak a little bit about sort of some of my work history and process and um, yeah, try and sort of pull that together a little bit um there was a i don't know if anyone read in the paper on the weekend there was an article in yesterday's age called japan's killer jobs take their toll and it was a heartbreaking story about um yeah the work life culture in japan basically there is no japanese word for work-life balance it's just not something that exists um so there's a real culture of people working, it's really normal to work 12-hour days, um, to work really hard, not to count your overtime because you don't want to be seen as lazy or ungrateful. Um, and there's, So there's no word for work-life balance but there is a word called karoshi which means death by overwork and it's like this phenomenon that's gotten out of control in Japan where it's not uncommon for people in their 30s to have heart attacks because they literally work themselves to death. And there was the story of a, um, a young man in his 30s called Kiyotaka who yeah worked ridiculously hard and he tried to resign a year before his death but his boss wouldn't accept his resignation and um, he ended his life and was found, this sort of really stood out for me, he was found near a place where he used to go camping as a child I thought wow what yeah what what a statement how much that says about what was missing from his life that he took himself to a place where he used to go camping as a child where there was life in that um, so yeah it's a pretty pretty heavy story but and it made me realize how grateful I am that we don't have that kind of same extreme work culture where we work ourselves to death but at the same time we still have that capacity in us for a whole bunch of different reasons to work ourselves to a place that's unhealthy and unsustainable. Um, So that really got me thinking about, um, yeah, a time in my life where, yeah, I worked myself to a place of burnout. Um, So I worked for uh, about six years for a ministry that worked with... um, with young women that had a lot of really serious mental health issues and self harm and history of abuse, and it was um, kind of yeah came from a sort of sort of had Pentecostal sort of links, so it was sort of super um, super faith based, <laughs> um, believing that people's lives could be turned around. Um, so that was kind of, I guess my first kind of. Um, reluctant to call it real work but yeah where I sort of threw myself in professionally and worked really hard and there was a real sense in that period of my life that um yeah it was an area that I was really passionate about helping people and seeing people's lives turned around um were really optimistic and full of faith and worked really hard Um, so there was a real sense that God had called me there and opened up that opportunity um we were really under-resourced, really underpaid, <laughs> but all had a sense that we were meant to be there and doing really important work. Um, so towards... There, were, there was a real lack of boundaries in that role. So huge amounts of expectation of, of what I was meant to do. I think for four years I was on call 24-7. So <laughs> all my nights and weekends I could be called at any point with, you know, someone self-harming or someone's not okay or there's this big crisis and I remember one night I think it was my 27th birthday I um, went out to dinner with some friends and on the way to dinner I got a call um, saying that there'd been sort of a crisis incident and so I was madly making phone calls to other colleagues and to mental health and trying to put things in place so that this crisis was dealt with and I felt like I had handed that over really well to people that were capable and it was all being looked after really well. But when I got into work on Monday, I got totally roasted for not leaving my birthday party to come back to work to deal with this situation. So there was lots of, um, yeah, there was this sort of combination of feeling really important and often feeling like when you worked beyond your work hours that, yeah, it sort of gave you this false sense of, important you were Um, but really just wasn't healthy at all and I guess at different points I had tried to put things in place to sort of say could we have an on-call system so that that's shared around but all of that was rejected Um, so I was stuck in this place where I felt like there was a lot of purpose in my work that I was meant to be there but structurally it was set up in a way that wasn't sustainable Um, By not employing staff that had enough qualifications, by underpaying people, by giving me too much responsibility. And so for the last year of that job, I would drive to work um, on the Sunshine Coast along the highway. And I started to realise that on a daily basis, I was having this thought, I could just drive off the highway. And eventually I realised that this was a bit of a pattern. Every day I'm thinking I I could just drive off the freeway. And I wasn't ever scared that I would. I never felt like I wanted to. I didn't feel like I wanted to die. But I started to question. I'd just kind of rebuke these thoughts and, you know, replace it with a positive, you know, scripture or something. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But... I started to think, what's actually happening? What is my brain trying to tell me that it's repeatedly (laughs) saying you could just drive off the highway? And I thought, I don't want to get to a point. At the moment, I feel completely in control of this thought. I don't have any desire to do that. But why is my brain doing this? What's it trying to tell me? And I eventually realised that my brain was just going, enough's enough. Like, enough's enough. (laughs) You're done. Um... I started to really pay attention to that, and you know took a bit of a holiday and spent some time with friends really processing that and It was really important to take some time to talk through with sort of you know someone that had played like a mentoring role in my life and you know it was really difficult to come to a decision to to stop doing this job that I loved that I felt was really meaningful, that I felt that I was called for um, and I think I probably got some counseling as well um yeah, which was helpful because I think when you're trying to um, do something that you think there can be a lot, you can get into a place of assuming that God wants you to do something when actually it might have become all about you. Um, so I took some time off. I was in—I was 29. I was having a crisis about turning 30, and when my life wasn't up to, I was completely um, burnt out and really. Um, questioning what I'd given so many years of my life to. Um, And so I took some time off and went to London and sort of worked in London for a few months and went travelling. And, yeah, I just didn't know what to do with myself. I was like, what am I meant to do when all my experience and professional skills are about helping people? And I feel like I've got zero capacity to do that anymore. Um, So I found a job in a little cafe in London run by... Aussies um and they asked me if I wanted to make coffee or if I wanted to work in the kitchen and for some reason I said maybe I'd like to work in the kitchen so I worked in a kitchen with a New Zealand girl and a Swedish girl um and we just made salads sandwiches did lots of baking out of the woman's weekly cookbook most of our um, customers were Aussies and Kiwis um And it was, yeah, it was a real crisis point of self-identity. I didn't know whether I wanted to be a Christian anymore. I didn't know what I could trust God for, what he was good for. Um, I was earning really rubbish money. (laughs) I was at a point where I was looking at lots of my friends who were buying houses and having kids and I was like, oh my gosh, like, my career's over. Um, There'd been lots of other things that had happened with that organisation, which had made me really embarrassed about to be associated with that organisation. So, yeah, I was in a real state and I was earning rubbish money just at this point where your life's meant to be at its peak. I was just falling apart. Um, But when I think about... um, Yeah, I read this um, in that book that we've been referring to a lot about um, living the Sabbath. There was a quote there that I really loved um, which talked about... um, when you're working with those around you, what can happen? And I might just read that out because I feel like that's what happened in this workplace. Applying yourself to the task, threads of friendship and conversation grew and connected people with each other. They'd forget that they were working and get caught up in the camaraderie. Um, I can't read my own writing. Work folded into fun and disappeared. Friendship, conversation, exercise, fresh air, all moulded together into a single act of mutual self-forgetting. So the work that we did was hard. It was underpaid. Um, Yeah, it was a tiny little, tiny little kitchen. But it was like a really, it was a really beautiful, special five or six months in my life. Um, basically I'd been living in this Christian bubble for a long time and now I was at this point where I didn't know whether I wanted to be a Christian anymore and I was having a real crisis but I was thrown into this kitchen with these two other girls and um, yeah I was basically processing my faith crisis with two people that weren't Christians and didn't have that background at all and they were beautiful and supportive and really concerned about <laughs> really concerned about where I was at really concerned about um yeah, they understood that my faith was really important. They were really concerned that I might be wanting to throw that away. Um, and we would just have such beautiful conversations in that place. Um, so Some of the things that I really loved about this job um, was that, yeah, we were doing really simple rhythmic work. It was the same thing every day, um, making... Baking sandwiches and making the yogurts and making Anzac cookies every single day, which drove us insane. Um, but yeah, it was it was really it was really fun. Um, and I'm a real believer that if you're going to do hospitality work, you need to make it fun. Otherwise, it's just hell. Um, and I've worked in places where they're just working you to the ground, and other places where it really is all about the relationships and how fun you make it. But we put a lot of love into our food. Um, we banned people from the kitchen that made crappy sandwiches and didn't put love into the food. Um, we introduced um, mini muffin time, which is where we would make miniature versions of the muffins we'd made for that day just to check all the flavours and stop for breaks. We would have um, make secret food for the poor baristas um, who were getting paid rubbish. They'd come up and we'd secretly feed them. Um... We talk a lot about our life problems and give advice and we um, accidentally introduced this thing. We had these big boxes of flour and if anybody had a problem and needed some advice, they could come upstairs to the kitchen and take their seat on the flour box and tell us their dilemma. So we'd have like the baristas or the cashies come upstairs and they'd take their seat on the flour box and they would present their life dilemma to us. Um, and then we would send them away. And then for the next two or three hours, we would cook and talk from as many angles as possible about the dilemma that they were facing, all of the ethical issues that would be considered. And when we had um, thought this through really, really well, we would call them up, sit them back on the flower box and deliver um, Yeah basically the outcomes of what what we thought and and the choices that they had to make and um oh i just it's like such a special time for me and it was like just such funny scenarios about oh, all sorts of relational issues um that people would come up with but it was just a really beautiful time where i just look back and think there was so much Manuha happening in that workplace. Um, Yeah, what else have I got here? Um, Yeah, putting a lot of love into our work was like a really big, really big part of it. Um, It was a tiny little cafe, but we managed to shut down a Starbucks opposite us because we. Yeah, because it was just, we were making yummy, yummy things and serving good coffee. Um, But yeah, I think at a time where I was really at my bottom and really in crisis and really my life was not going, I'd put a lot of time and effort into trying to make sure that I was doing meaningful work with my life. It was actually in a place where I was doing quite basic work, making sandwiches. That was a really healing, restful place and really powerful and I think that's something that is a challenge for all of us in life um, is how to hold this idea that we're important and we're also not important I had had such a load of responsibility just feeling so self-important and it was really important for me to take that time and realize that life goes on and actually you're not that important and everything does not fall apart if you're not there. And I think both are true. I think it is incredibly important. I mean, I'm I'm glad that, you know, seven years later I'm not still making sandwiches. It was for a season. but And I found my way back to get into meaningful work with people. Um, but I think I've learnt a lot about just not making yourself too important and trying to work in a way that's sustainable, that you can do it for the long term and not just go really, really hard for a few years and then have completely zero capacity to, yeah, support people. Um, I've also been thinking, yeah, a bit about identity and this book also was talking about how um, in hunter-gatherer societies people spent less time foraging for food and meeting home needs than we think. They were also involved in leisure activities and artistic and ritual activities and I think um, in a wage labour system like we're in, it's really easy to get way too much of our identity about what we do for employment. Um, And I think it's helpful to expand our idea of work to things like cooking and gardening and artistic pursuits and just what we give our time to rather than just what we do for our career. And sometimes those times where we're not, for whatever reason, we're not able to our ideal career job and feel like we're ticking those boxes that the world is sort of saying is important it can be really important yeah it can be a really valuable time of just giving value to the more simple things in life um, the relationships that we have with people um, and just those other skills that that we pick up in those times um, yeah I think I'll probably leave it there I've written a bunch of other things but I think just one just maybe one final thought is, um I guess there's been times in my life where I've made choices that have felt a little bit risky um, financially, and probably being responsible with my finances is something that is still a big learning curve for me that I'm not awesome at. but one thing that's helped me to take some risks into trying to head towards um, yeah kind of my dreams and the work that I want to do and, you know, moving cities is um, is that I'm quite socially connected and so the whole idea of social capital being a real safety net I think is really important. I think if we think about like how much money we need to have a buffer in our life in case all of the terrible things go wrong or all of the insurances that are inva- available to take out to cover you for all of the things that could go wrong. Kind of quite endless, but um, I think placing value on social relationships is incredibly important because that's really your buffer. And when I've thought about, well, what would happen if I wasn't able to get a job or if a number of things went wrong, the reality is that um, I'm incredibly blessed to have social connections, which is probably unlikely that I would ever be without a place to crash in a worst case scenario and I think you know I've I couldn't find the studies that I remember reading at different points but um yeah a lot of um there's a lot of sort of sociology studies that have tried to look at how vulnerable people are and it's not about looking at their bank balances and how much they've got so much of it is about how connected we are socially um and yeah, how we can rely on each other as a community and in our friendships. And I think that's something that, yeah, money and career and wage labour systems can never really put a value on it. And I can't put a value on what the relationships in my life are actually worth in monetary value. But I know that, um, yeah, they make life richer and a lot more meaningful and it helps to drive the fear away of, sort of worst case scenarios. So I might just leave it there
0: for today. I might pass
2: on to Rod. How nice was that? So nice not to be listening to Shane. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so true. Uh, And even nicer to not be listening to myself. Um, Thank you, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie. That was beautiful and so... So wonderfully helpful um the thought i did have is that we haven't at all this week addressed um sabbath and not working um which is a really interesting question as well maybe we'll have a week on that later on um but it yeah so wonderful to be challenged on the way that we work um, so thank you for that um as is always the case with community lunch week community lunch is communion so as we as we eat together, the the food that a lot of love has been put into, um, let's be grateful and be be aware of that in the way that we are aware when we're having communion. Um, so I might just say a, a kind of a, a grace slash benediction thing to finish, and then we'll have a little bit of a break where you can get bread if you want, and um, and then have lunch. Can you? throw that last line up again something that I was going to use and then didn't and then this might be a nice benediction um so Tilly's my daughter, my eldest daughter's initials are TS um, it was an accident but uh, now I sort of retell the story as being something to do with TS Eliot, um, one of my favourite poets her middle name is Shelley so we kind of got the poets covered really which is nice um But I want to read this because I think in a kind of somewhat esoteric T.S. Eliot style way, it does touch on a lot of the things that we've been talking about today. Um, I'm just going to read this as our our benediction and our grace. And if you can make any sense of it at all, um, say amen at the end. At the still point of the turning world, neither flesh nor fleshless, neither from nor towards. At the still point, there the dance is, but neither arrest nor movement. And do not call it fixity, where past and future are gathered. Neither movement from nor towards, neither ascent nor decline, except for the point, the still point. There would be no dance, and there is only the dance. The inner freedom from practical desire, the release from action and suffering, released from the inner and the outer compulsion, yet surrounded by a grace of sense a white light lifted and moving. Amen.